with all that said, let's get into, again, the Word of God. <clears throat> Last week we started, it was actually our second week in John chapter 12, and Last week we saw, again, uh, Jesus was there in Bethany. He's there where Mary anoints his feet. Judas criticizes that. Uh, That was a few weeks ago. We talked about the social gospel versus the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then from there we saw that the Jews who had already ramped up their desire to plot against Christ and have him killed now also were saying we want to kill Lazarus as well, whom the Lord had resurrected from the grave. And we just talked about how, listen, if Jesus touches your life and you begin to walk with them, Jesus said, as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And we talked a lot about that last week. We saw prophecy fulfilled last week, um, what we have come to call Palm Sunday, Jesus entering in there to Jerusalem, that triumphal entry. And we talked about him coming lowly on a donkey. And yet at his second coming, he's going to come back on a white horse and he is going to judge the world from the sword that comes out of his mouth. We also saw Jesus declaring after those Greeks showed up saying, we must see Jesus. Jesus declaring that his hour of glory had come, talking about his death and resurrection. That time had come where the Jews were now rejecting Christ and the Gentiles were ready to receive Christ. We're going to talk a lot about these things again this morning. They continue on uh, in the rest of John chapter 12. We'll see Jesus here wrestling with a troubled heart, wrestling concerning uh, in his heart trouble that Israel was rejecting him outside of a remnant, knowing that he was about to be lifted up, about to go to the cross of Calvary and the things that were before him. We'll also see Jesus declaring that it was time for the world to be judged. It was time for the world to be judged through him going to the cross and taking the judgment of the world upon himself. And we'll talk about that this morning. In all of it, Jesus continues to call men into the light, into eternal life, pleading with them, telling them that their time is short. And again, we'll see Israel being given over to a hardened heart. Again, that time coming where the Gentiles were ready to just fully, you know, hear the gospel and so many to get saved, kind of entering a new dispensation. And yet in that, we'll talk about God's faithfulness to Israel And then again, here at the end, we'll talk about men are either going to be saved by grace or judged by that word of God and that second coming of Christ when he comes back on that white horse. So with all that said, a little bit of where we've been, where we're going, we'll look at a lot today. Uh, So I encourage you, if you're a note taker, to get your pen out and so forth. And we'll just take it here a few verses at a time this morning and Lord willing, get through this and, and leave here more like him. Amen. So let's start here in verse 27. Jesus speaking, he says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, Jesus is in a place where again, and we see this, uh, we've seen this prior very recently in the texts that We have been here in John that Jesus' soul is troubled. He's troubled over what's going on around him. He's also troubled about what he is about to go through. Let's just talk about that here briefly and some of the things that were troubling him. Uh, Number one, again, we know that Israel, they were looking for the Messiah to come, but unfortunately, they were looking for 
an earthly Messiah. Even later in this text this morning, uh, we're going to see in verse 34 that one of the people in the crowd, they say, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And in that, this person was saying, listen, we've heard that when the Messiah comes, he's not going to go to a cross and be lifted up because Jesus talks about how I've come to be lifted up. And no doubt they knew that that was referring to crucifixion. They said, hey, we've heard from the law that the Lord's not going to do that. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to remain here forever and set up an earthly kingdom. And surely the Messiah has come to overthrow Rome. And this was troubling the Lord's heart. Because he had not come to overthrow Rome, he came to overthrow sin and death and Satan and hell. And absolutely, we see Jesus there during that time of his crucifixion in John 18, 36, declaring, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But no, my kingdom is not from here. And this was troubling the Lord's heart. Because, yes, the law talks about Jesus establishing an eternal kingdom, but it refers there to him first coming and dying for our sins so that it actually can be an eternal kingdom. And this was troubling the Lord's heart. We saw last week, we looked at those verses there in Luke during Passion Week. In Luke uh, 13, 34, where he cries out, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, how I've longed to gather you under my wing as a hen does her chicks, yet you've rejected me. And he says, now, you know, you're going to go to a time of desolation, just paraphrasing that. And the Lord was troubled over that. We also know that Jesus was troubled over the fact that the leaders of, of Israel were rejecting Christ. And though the people were crying out, Hosanna, save us, the soon after that, they would be crying out, crucify him as they would follow the lead of these Pharisees and Sadducees and Levites and scribes and so forth, except for a remnant that, again, would come to that place of faith, and it was troubling the Lord. The Lord was also troubled by the fact that, as a man, he knew that he was about to be crucified. And boy, this would be troubling to any soul. It's not that the Lord is worried here. It's not that the Lord is fearful, but the Lord is troubled over this. We know there later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few days after what we're reading about here, in Matthew 26, 38, he would say, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. We also know that again, he was troubled because he knew the wrath that was due us was about to be placed upon him as he who knew no sin was going to become sin for us. 2 Corinthians 521 tells us this, and in him becoming sin for us, and him who knew no sin, dying for sinners. Again, we know that Galatian declares, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And he was about to take the curse that was on us upon himself. He knew in that, and there's a mystery in us, and it's hard for us to fully wrap our minds around us. He knew that in that, for a moment of time, He would be forsaken by the Father because the Father does not fellowship with sin. Mark 15, 34, when he's on the cross, it says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sababathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So listen, there was a lot that was troubling the Lord. There was a lot that was weighing on his heart, that was weighing on his mind. 
There was a lot that was troubling him as God. There was a lot that was troubling him as a man. And with all that said, he says, listen, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? My soul is troubled, and what shall I do about it? What shall I say from my father? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? And listen, he could have said that and still been in perfect, again, uh, sinless place. Shall I say, save me from this hour? But he says, no, because for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why I came. This is why I showed up here. This is my purpose there's a lot of people running around saying what's my purpose you know why am i here and listen the purpose of jesus christ the reason that he came here on earth first and foremost was to fulfill the will of the father and the will of the father was to send his son to die on the cross of calvary for sinners to resurrect from the grave and defeat sin death satan and hell that whoever would call upon the name of the lord would be saved is that not good news and he said i have come for this purpose i have come to glorify the father and the father was glorified through the lord's obedience the father was glorified again through what the lord was doing here on earth the father was glorified as we'll see here in a minute in the lord's death and resurrection so he said this is my purpose he was also doing this for the joy that was set before him he knew in this purpose that again in that resurrection he would provide victory over the enemy over sin and death and hell he was providing salvation for men and mankind who he loved even in the midst of man's rebellion he knew that this would bring about the restoration of all things because when man's sin a curse was put upon this world this world longs for the revealing of the sons of God for the second coming of Christ to be released from the bondage that it's under because of sin. And he knew again that though he would die the death of a thief upon the cross in a very humble manner, he would be resurrected and his name would be exalted that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So again, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And then in verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. So be glorified. We just sung that, right? Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And in this, the father was declaring, listen, I've glorified my name through your life for on earth. Remember, just before this, not many days before this, the Lord had resurrected Lazarus in the name of the Father, and he did that to make a point to them that all of these miracles and signs and wonders had been done in the name of the Father, and everything that the Lord did in his life brought glory to the Father. So I have glorified it, and I've glorified it in your life, and I'm going to glorify it again, and indeed he would glorify it again through the Lord's death. Because again, in his death, he would atone for our sins, fulfill the will of the Father, but he would also be resurrected. And at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is our Lord Jesus glorified, but our Father in heaven is greatly, greatly glorified. Now listen, there's some application for us in this. And that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely, we have a purpose here on earth as well. And listen, our purpose above everything and all things is to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. 
we have been created to worship him, to give him honor in whatever we do throughout our day. We are here to bring honor and glory to him. And we need to know that because a lot of people run around saying, what's my purpose? Tell me my purpose. Sit down and counsel me and let's figure out my purpose. Listen, in all that you do, again, and whatever is before you and whatever your job is, And wherever you live and function and who you are around and everything else, above all things, it is to glorify the Father. And we do that in doing all our work unto the Lord. We do that in, again, having fellowship with our God. We do that in being a people that would walk in humility, a people that would be willing to die to ourself, just as Jesus died to himself so that, again, the Father would be glorified in his resurrection. And indeed, when we humble our hearts, God will exalt us in due time. And in that exaltation of us, listen, the greater purpose is that he's exalted in our life. We also need to know in that call to follow the Father and that call to follow Christ, that at times is gonna include some suffering. It's gonna include times and seasons of a troubled soul. Have you ever been in a season where your soul's troubled as a follower of the Lord? You look at our culture and it it should trouble your soul a bit. You think about people that you love that don't know the Lord that are rejecting him. That should be troubling your soul. The Lord was troubled where Israel was and of the rejection of him. He was troubled by that. There's a a troubling of the soul that comes at times when the enemy attacks. And we know that the enemy's hand, Satan's hand, was going full force at this time. Our souls should be troubled at times when we know, I do need to die to myself. And I haven't been doing that. And I haven't been glorifying God. And it's troubling to me. I want to walk with him and grow in him and so forth. The question comes up, though, what are you going to do when your soul is troubled as a follower of Jesus Christ? What are you going to say? Jesus' soul was troubled, and he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from the sour? No, this is the reason that I've come. And there's too many Christians, when they face some persecution and some troubles and so forth, they just say, listen, I don't want this to be my purpose. I want my purpose for my life to be all about me. So I'm going to take these things of God and put them to the side, and I'm just going to go me first. I need to love on me for a while, you know? You might have some temporary joy in that, but that's not the purpose that God has put upon your life. You want to find real fulfillment? You want to find, again, real life? Then get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice, as we're told, in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're made strong in those times. Listen, in those times, there's a closeness that comes with the Lord himself that's not found when we just say, my purpose is about me and building my kingdom here upon earth. All that stuff's gonna crash and burn one day. But those things you do under the glory of God will absolutely have an eternal value and absolutely will have an everlasting place in glory forever and ever. Can we say amen to that today? Verse 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered when they heard the father spoke. This is what's referring to. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. A couple things here. Listen, these people were in darkness. 
We'll see the Lord speaking about that here in a minute. And as they were in darkness, they were trying to make sense of the light. Again, they didn't have clarity in their ears. Their ears were stuffed up spiritually. The father had spoken, and we see that he had spoken with great clarity. Again, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. But what did they hear? Some of them just heard thunderings. That's all they could hear. Others, it sounds like perhaps they heard what was said, but again, in their hardness of heart and in their ears, they're like, whose voice was that? Was that an angel that spoke? They were spiritually discerned. And people that don't know the Lord that are in darkness, we got to remember, listen, there's a lot of things that are so clear in the scripture, so easy, so simple, that they just don't get. And this is part of our purpose here in glorifying the Father and praying for their souls, that their eyes would be open, their hearts would be softened, that their ears would be open, that indeed they could hear the gospel of the Lord and call upon his name. Then the Lord says, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. In other words, this is Jesus saying, listen, I got a perfect faith in the Father. Signs of wonders are wonderful, but I don't need that for my faith. I know who my Father is. And let me tell you something, that should be the case for us as we follow the Lord. Signs of wonders, so signs and wonders are wonderful. And listen, as you follow the Lord, Jesus said, as you follow me, signs will accompany that or follow that as you follow after me. But we never want to be in that place or we want to be growing again and not be found in that place to say, boy, I need a sign and wonder today so that I can believe in the Lord. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we want to have our eyes on him. We want our faith being built up through the word. And so these unbelievers, again, the Lord allowed that for them, allowed that again in these last efforts to try to get them to come to faith in the Lord. But the Lord says, I don't need these things. I know who my father is. And I pray that we are growing through the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit to say, listen, no matter what's going on around me, I know who my God is. I know he's on the throne. Listen, signs and wonderfuls, wonders and wonderfuls are wonderful. I, listen, those blessings from God are glorious. But we want to be in that place where our faith anchored in who he is and his faithfulness day in and day out. Listen, that's what gets you through the hard times, not saying, boy, I need a sign or wonder right now. Grow in him and know who your God is. Verse 31, he says, now the judgment, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, again, we know that in the Lord's first coming, the world wasn't judged in the way that it will be judged at his second coming. We read there in Revelation 19, at his second coming, a sword comes out of his mouth. It's the word of God, and he judges these nations that are in rebellion. We know it a thousand years later, we read about this in Revelation, after the millennial rule of Christ here on earth, that all of those that are in Hades that have rejected Christ, there's going to be a white throne judgment, and again, they're going to be judged by the word of God. So what's he talking about is those things would be future He's talking about the judgment that's upon the world that was about to be placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know when the Lord went to the cross, not only did he die for your sins and my sins as followers of the Lord, 
but he died for the sins of the entire world. First John 2, 2, it says he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, propitiation means an act of appeasing God. He appeased the wrath of God. He went to the cross and all the wrath through mankind was placed upon Jesus. As 1 Timothy 2.6 says, speaking of Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So the judgment that was upon the world because of man's sin in the garden and every sin that's committed from the time of Adam to where we are now to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that debt was put upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All the debt's been paid. In fact, there's only one sin today that's not forgiven. It's the sin of unbelief, which is really the sin as well as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's a rejecting of Jesus as Lord. Think about that. Think about how foolish and sad to be in that place where all of your bills are paid off. Every bill you have ever, you know what, had in your life and will ever have, it's all paid off. All you have to do is humble your heart and accept that forgiveness and say, I want to come now under the, 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 the hand. I want this one that has paid my bills to be my Lord. Boy, wouldn't that be a good Lord? That's all that's required, a humbling of the heart and moving from me over here to saying, yes, I put my faith in Jesus. I want you to be my Lord. Listen, and when you follow your, your, your flesh, all you do is get more debt. And when you come to Christ, you know what you get? You get freedom. You get freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the judgment that was due the world was placed upon him. Now the question comes, will people, again, receive that freedom found in him or will they say, nah, I don't want that? This is why over and over, and John says, you got to believe. What's required? You got to believe. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Your debt's been paid. Will you receive that? Will you trust in him? Will you put your faith in him? Or do you want to walk around again in that debt that has already been paid for? He says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And again, we know from Scripture, we've seen this so many times, we looked at these Scriptures, we know the ruler of this world is Satan. He's the power, the prince of the air. And Jesus, see, at the cross in his death and resurrection, he would triumph over Satan's victory in the garden. When man sinned in the garden, a lot of people don't understand this, God had to give dominion of the earth to man. And when man sinned in the, in the garden, he gave that dominion in a large way over to the devil. He forfeited that to him. A lot of people say, you know what, he forfeited the deed of the earth over to the enemy. And as the Lord, though, would take the judgment of the world upon himself, the ruler of the world would be defeated, and that the Lord in his death and resurrection, we read in Colossians, would make a public spectacle of Satan. The Lord would leave captivity captive, those that had faith in him to this point, that were in Abraham's bosom. They would be brought into the presence of the Father. He would defeat sin and death. And listen, we're living in a time where the Lord is still temporarily allowing Satan to roam here on earth because it's part of him again, bringing forth his plan of redemption. But soon the Lord will take that deed of the earth that he's already purchased from Satan's hand and he'll begin to break it. 
This is where you got to understand in Revelation chapter 5, we read about these seals, these seven seals that are part of the tribulation. And they're there, and there's a question in heaven, who's worthy to open these seals? And they look high and low, and no one is worthy, and John begins to weep. And he's weeping there because, again, those seals represent the deed of the earth. He's weeping because he's like, we need to be delivered from whose hand this deed has been in since man sinned. But in Revelation 5, 4, it says, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scrolls or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, notice here, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. He's prevailed. He's prevailed over death. He's prevailed over sin. He's prevailed over Satan. He's prevailed over hell. And the Lord's saying, now's the time. Now's the time we're gonna go forth and we're gonna bring in again a new dispensation, a millennial reign of Christ here on earth. And then after that, a new heaven and a new earth. We have an awesome God, amen? Verse 32, he says, and I, if I am lifted up from earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now, we'll see here in a second that they understood what he was talking about when he said that. That I will be, again, lifted up from earth. Because this is when they say, we thought the Messiah was going to be here always. What do you mean he's going to be lifted up? So they got it. Maybe this was a term that they used for someone being crucified. Oh, he's lifted up on that cross. Because Again, the Romans would put people on those crosses to try to send a message. We're going to put you up between earth and heaven to send a message to anyone that would violate the law of Rome to try to bring order to it. And so he's talking about that here. If I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. I'll make a way for, again, all to be saved, for all to come to me. And what he's talking about here, again, the first application of this is that he first came for the Jews and secondly for the Gentiles. Now, again, it's not a thing in the Old Testament that Gentiles couldn't be saved, non-Jews. They could be saved by coming through faith in the Lord. And Jews were only saved by coming to faith in the Lord as well. But the Lord used Israel to bring forth the Messiah. And so that's why it says the gospel first came to the Jews. They had the first, again, revelation that the Messiah was going to come and come through him, through the lion of the tribe of Judah, so many prophecies. But again, in him fulfilling those prophecies, he made a way for, again, then all to come directly to him. Not just the Jews to come directly to him, but for Gentiles to come directly to him as well. And that's the first application here, that he would draw all peoples to himself. He was lifted up. Because sometimes people say, listen, if we lift up the name of Jesus, all people will be drawn to him. I haven't found that to be the case practically. Because listen, weren't we lifting up Jesus this morning? You were lifting him up right now. You were praising him, weren't you? I didn't see a big crowd of people beyond what's here already piling in this place. There's still thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our community that are at home getting ready, you know, to, to, to watch whatever they're going to watch and do whatever they're going to do today. We've lifted them up. Why haven't they been drawn in? 
Because there's a lot of people, practically, when you lift them up, they're repelled by it. And this verse, I think, is oftentimes taken out of context. Well, if we lift them up, he'll draw people to himself. This is talking about opening the door for the Gentiles. And this has been alluded to, again, earlier when the Greeks came. The Greek, we we want to see Jesus. He was getting this. Listen, Israel was rejecting the Lord. The Gentiles were ready to accept him. And the Lord says, in doing this, I'm establishing a new covenant that, again, you can come directly to me. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't be lifting the Lord up. We should absolutely lift the Lord up because people need to see the Lord to come to the Lord. And there will be individuals like you who will come to him. So we want to exalt him. Now, again, it says this, this, he said, signifying what death he would die. And again, we know this was signifying he'd be crucified on the cross. He'd be lifted up off the earth between heaven and earth. And this death that he would die is greatly detailed throughout the Old Testament. All these various prophecies that he would be filled. In Genesis chapter 3, it says the enemy would bruise his heel and he would crush the enemy's head. Indeed, the Lord was bruised for us there on the cross. Psalm 22 talks about him being surrounded. Them again, uh, heaving, snarling things at him. That he would be pierced in his hands and his feet. That all would look up and stare at him in Psalm 22. And then Isaiah 53 talks about him being wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. And there's such a perfect description of crucifixion before the Romans had ever even invented it. The Lord again knew how he would die, and he knew he would do that for you today. That's how much he loves you. Listen, don't question the Lord's love for you. He demonstrated it there on the cross. 34, then the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? And then they tack on, who is this son of man? They, they, were, they were blinded. He'd been telling them all over, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of man. But see, they had it wrong. Again, they thought the Messiah would come and set up an everlasting kingdom on this earth as it is. And there's beauty all around us, but listen, you gotta understand that this world is in a tainted state. As beautiful as it is, it's under a curse. And God did not come and send his son to rule over a garbage dump for eternity. He didn't, he didn't send him to roll over a land under the curse of sin for eternity. He came to make a better way. He came to make a way of deliverance of this earth. So just as in Christ Jesus, we have the hope of one day these bodies being resurrected and transformed into a glorious body, won't that be a great and glorious day? Some of you are like, oh yeah, my back hurts so bad. Oh Lord, come soon, Lord Jesus. Listen, that's how the world is. We read in Romans, the world groans to be delivered from the bondage that it's in. And the Lord indeed absolutely came that first time to atone for our sins, that at that second coming, he will set up an eternal earthly reign as even the new Jerusalem will come to the new earth forever and ever. And in Christ, we'll rule and reign with him. That will be a glorious and a wonderful day and then they say who is the son of man and again it just it just it's testimony again of of the confusion that's found in sin the confusion that's found where there's 
again, envy and selfish ambition. And they were envious of the Romans. They had a selfish ambition. We want the Messiah to come to put us on, you know, at the top of the food chain. And the scripture says that that wisdom doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And where that's there, there's every evil thing and there's confusion there. And there might be some evil things and confusion in your life today because you are full of envy and selfish ambition. You got to lay that down. Fulfillment is found in him. Life is found in him. Verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Now listen, the first application here is the Lord talking to Israel. He was the light of the world. The light of the world was right before them. Remember, we read uh, uh, or we read in Matthew a fulfillment of prophecy that the Lord would come to the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which was Galilee. And it says there, in Matthew 4, 16, this is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, life has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the light of the world was right there in the midst of them. And the Lord again had come to first save the Jews, to first save Israel, and yet they were rejecting him. And he's saying, listen, the light is here. The light is right here in the mist. You need to come to the light now. You need to come while you have light and believe in the light to become sons of the light. And unfortunately, except for a small remnant, the bulk of the people would reject Christ. Now, praise God, again, the day is coming when all Israel will be saved. They'll look on him whom they pierced and they will call on his name. And this is why, in part, the Lord has regathered Israel in these last days. He's doing a work there despite them, just as he's doing a work in us despite us. He's a good God. He's also saying this, though, to every individual. Because the scriptures declare that, you know what, we are in darkness outside of Christ. That we are darkness in Ephesians. And we sin in darkness and Jesus is the light of the world. And as we have the light of the world or we are in that place where we can call on him in our time here on earth in this valley of decision that we are in, we need to call on him now because when we pass from this life to the next, if we don't know the Lord, the scripture says we're going to be subjected to the second death, which is going to be a place of eternal darkness. And so it's the Lord pleading, listen, you need to come to the light while you have the light, while you have opportunity to come to me. You need to come to me. Today is the day of salvation. And yet so many, again, they reject him. The Lord says, he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And how many people running around, they're rejecting Christ. They're saying no to Jesus. They don't get where they're going. They're not considering their latter end. They've, they've believed a lie that they're good enough by their own merit and surely God will bring them into eternal bliss. 
or they've believed the lie that I don't want to go to heaven with those hypocrites. I'm going to go to hell and party. We're going to have a raging rock show. Serious. We're going to love it. Dude, they don't know where they're going. I shared this before. A few years back, I had a guy saying, I'm not afraid to go to hell. No fear of it whatsoever. You don't know where you're going. Do you like it when you're sick here on earth and you're put up on the bed and, oh, you're kind of, oh. The Bible says in Scripture, it's a place of eternal torment. The worm never dies. Your thirst is never quenched. You're under the wrath of God forever and ever and ever and ever. They don't know where they're going. And you would think if they knew where they were going, they would turn and run to the light as fast as they could, right? You would think if they got it, they would turn and run to him. But I'm really convinced there's so many people, they love their sins so much. They love their sins so much, they're willing to chase it right into an everlasting hell. There won't be anyone in hell who didn't choose to go there. Make no mistake about that. Jesus said in John 3, 19, and this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And it's the Lord saying here, they stay in the darkness because they worship their sin. They love their sin. I remember being in that place, even as a, a, a deeply backslidden Christian and Praise God, I had just enough light in my life, uh, enough light to know that this thing that I love, this thing that I worship is destroying me. And I remember beginning to cry out of God, just saying, Lord, I, I love this. I fiend for these things. It, it, I, I have altars of idols set up all in my life, Lord. And my flesh fiends for it and loves it and craves it and joneses for it. Day in and day out, Lord, begin to make me hate that. Make me hate it. I got to get out of here, Lord. I got to get out of this place. Give me a love for you and a hatred for that. And if you're in that place where you're in the darkness and you know she shouldn't be there because you love that so much, you need to begin to cry out to God, Lord, let me see this for what it is. Open my eyes to the truth. Let me see the poison and how toxic it is. Give me a heart for you, Lord, that I would long for you. Lastly, it says, Jesus, these things Jesus spoke and departed, and notice, was hidden from them. And we'll see here next where it talks about Israel's eyes being blinded. And if you reject him over and over again, though he's there, he becomes hidden from you because of your choice to embrace darkness overcoming to the light. Notice 37 through 41. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord and he prophesied as the spirit of God came upon him. And he prophesied here that God would give them over to their sin. God would give them over to the hardness of heart. God would give them over to their desires, we'll see here in a minute, to be honored by men versus to be honored by God. And there's a great lesson here. Listen, the hardness of heart always starts with us first, with us choosing to harden our heart to God. And if we continue to do that over and over and over again, as so many did in Israel, over and over and over again, eventually God will give you over to that hardened heart. That's what happened with Pharaoh. Back when Moses went to him and said, the Lord God has spoken, let my people go. And it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says it a few times. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And as Moses kept going back and God showing all these signs and wonders, how can you deny it's not the hand of God? As he was only bringing judgment on Egypt, but on their gods. Eventually, though, it moves to God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what that means there is that God gave him over to that hardened heart. This is why the Bible says, if you hear the voice of the Spirit of God, don't harden your heart, as he did in the rebellion. You start hardening your heart. Eventually, God will give you over to that which you want, because he's not going to force himself on anybody. Again, in this, in this prophecy being fulfilled, the hardness of their heart, there's other prophecies being fulfilled that, again, salvation would come to the Gentiles. And God in his heart for Israel would even use the Gentiles coming to faith to eventually bring Israel back around. You got to be familiar with Romans chapter 11. The Bible says, do not be ignorant concerning Israel. It gives the big picture of all this. In Romans 11, 11, he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? He's talking about Israel, or certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness so again, God was orchestrating all of this. I'm going to give them over because they're not going to repent. So what am I going to use to bring them to that place of repentance? I'm going to bring salvation to the Gentiles that the Israelites, the Jews, would become jealous of the Gentiles' relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And I believe what's going to happen in that time of Jacob's trouble in the second half of the tribulation, when they're under this wrath, when two-thirds of Israel's going to be killed, they're going to realize those, 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 God has sustained the church. God has taken the church. We want what they have. There's, there's going to be epiphany. They're going to have their eyes open. They're going to see the one they thought that was the Messiah, the Antichrist, was just a man. And the Bible says they're going to look on him whom they pierce, and they're going to call on his name, and all Israel will be saved. You got to understand, there's so many, they don't get these things. They're ignorant, and then they start talking about prophecy. They don't know what they're talking about because they're ignorant about Israel. They're ignorant about the prophecies of Daniel. They read a verse and pluck it out of context. They're not looking at the totality of Scripture. And these are glorious revelations to us. 
Because again, it not only shows God's faithfulness to Israel, hear this this morning, it shows God's faithfulness to you. He's a glorious and awesome God. And think about this here. He says, Leslie should understand with their hearts in turn that I should heal them. He's the great physician. He wants to bring healing to all that would call on his name. Again, that first and foremost healing, the healing of your soul, the restoration of your soul. To start a healing process. To even know one day we're going to get liberated from these bodies that are subjected to pain and suffering. To know I'm going to have not only an everlasting spiritual healing, but I'm going to have a physical one as well. Verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue Oh, man, look at verse 43. For they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. James says the demons even believe and tremble. There are certain men who believe but are not saved. Believing isn't just acknowledging who he is and what he's done. Believing him is calling calling upon him to be your Lord. You're entrusting your life to him, no matter what the cost, no matter what it may, again, bring into your life. Even if it means losing face with the cool people, with the men in charge, with the men of renown. Hear this this morning. Salvation is the only free gift that will cost you your life. And they believe Jesus was who he said he was. They believe he offered What he was offering was real. They believed it, but they would not entrust their life to him. They said, I want to hold on to my life. This is why last week we saw, he said, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. You got to confess me. And confession isn't just, you know what? Oh, I confess. Confessing is, again, evidence in your life that you have really put faith in him as your Lord. And when you do that, those evidence are going to manifest through the work of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. They love the praise of men over the praise of God. Hear this this morning. That's fool's gold. And most of this world is running around wanting the praise of men over the praise of God. Listen, when you get it, oftentimes it's not genuine. Oftentimes it's either phony or it's flattery oftentimes we want it from people who don't even praise god they don't even worship god they don't even praise god but we want them to praise us ever fall into that trap why would we want the praise of men who never praise god who've never said to god be the glory who've never said thank you jesus but we want them to praise us. Hear this as well. This is the praise of man will never satisfy your soul. You always want more when that is what you fiend for. You can be liberated this morning if you get these truths in your heart. Hear this as well. Listen, that praise can turn to hate on the turn of a dime and it will eventually perish like dust in the wind. But praise that comes to the Lord is real and eternal, and it comes through first glorifying him 
fulfilling our purpose to bring him glory. That is our high call. Can we say amen to that this morning? Verse 44, then Jesus cried out. I, I could do like 10 sermons on that verse, but Jesus, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. So the Lord cried out on this. He wasn't shy. He wanted all to be saved. And earlier we know he had said, if you honor the son, you honor the father. Now he says, if you believe in the son, you believe in the father. And he says, if you see the son, you see the father. He also declares that he's the only way to the father. He'll declare that in a few chapters. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me. You want to see the father? Get your eyes on Jesus. Verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And this was a call to repentance to those that did not believe at this point. Listen, you're in darkness. You want to come to me? It's a call to come into the light, to have your sins be exposed, that they could be washed, they could be dealt with, that you could have a relationship with God Almighty. He's making it real clear. This isn't a matter of, you know what, hey, save me, Jesus, but I'm going to kick it over here in the dark, you know, woo, woo, party time. No, it's a saying, this is sin. It's time to be forgiven of this. It's time to come into the light that my sin wouldn't be practiced here, but my sin could be forgiven, and then practically the Lord could help me to begin to deal with this sin. It's also a call to the believer. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Do you believe in him today? Can you say amen to that? Where are you abiding? Where are you living your life? What are you living your life for? Does Jesus tell lies? 2 Timothy 2.19, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He died for those sins. He died for those things. His grace has afforded forgiveness to us, and his grace also is wanting to empower us to begin to walk in victory, to begin to deal with these issues and so forth. Almost done here. Verse 47. And if anyone, I love it, anyone, whoever, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, and I just stop there for a second. If anyone hears my words and not believe, this, is, this shows that all have the ability to hear. Some people say, well, you know, they can't even hear. They don't know the Lord. That's not what Jesus said. If they hear and they don't believe, <laughs> There's a choice in the matter. Now, again, he's the active party in our salvation. He first cried out to us. But if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but save the world. And a lot of people will stop the reading right there. See, Jesus isn't going to judge anybody. Kumbaya, kumbaya. Big giant world group hug. All roads lead to God. Jesus won't judge anybody. He came to save the whole world. Universalism. They stop there and it's a mistake. I didn't come to judge. It's true. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. But notice 48, listen, read God's word in context. People say, well, 47 is inspired. But verse 48, that's not inspired of God. He who rejects me does not receive my word and does not receive my words 
has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. He says, you're gonna be judged by my word. John 3, 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. John 3, 36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He didn't come to judge. That was what's already judged. If you're already judged, you don't need to be judged again. If you got a prison ministry, you don't go in there and say, I judge you, I judge you, I judge sentencing you to this and you're that. They already are. They're like, yeah, we already know that and you don't wanna let me get out of here so we have a one-on-one. He didn't come to judge that which was already judged. His word declares we're judged. His law shows us we've transgressed it, that we have, again, fallen short of his glory. We're subjected to a second death in ourself. And if we don't receive that free gift that he has available to us, his word is going to judge us. Again, at that second coming, we read in Revelation 19, a sword's gonna come out of his mouth, the word of God, and he is gonna judge the world. He's gonna say, okay, roll out those 10 commandments. Let's judge you by that. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Everyone on the face of the earth is guilty of that. There have been all of us at times put other gods before him. Just start going through the list there. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Have you? Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, it says adultery. Thou shalt not murder. The Lord said, if you ever hate in your heart, it says murder. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt honor thy mother and father. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. I mean, you go through it. You want to be judged by that? He came to fulfill all that. That through him, we would have eternal life. But if we reject him, that same law that he fulfilled will judge you. And that's why squeaky clean guy over here thinking, I'm a good enough guy. Listen, really by Jesus's teaching, you're the worst off because, man, he gave way more grief to those Pharisees that thought like that than other people are like, man, I know I'm a sinner and going to hell. The Lord's like, well, I'm gonna go minister to those people. The first step's already taken care of. Let's bring them some hope that if they call on me, they'll get saved. Also notice here, he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. There's so many people today that say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in his word. Don't work that way. If you want to shun the word of God, you are shunning the son of God. You are delusional. If you just say, oh, me and Jesus were best buddies and so forth. Oh, but the word of God, get that out of here. It's a lot of what we call the church today. A lot of people that say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to go clean up the scriptures and fix this and rewrite it. I deal with this stuff nonstop from people that say they're pastors When it says he is Lord, it means we come to him, your Lord. Your Lord. Finally, verse 49 and 50. You didn't think we'd get through it, did you? We, we, we are. 
For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say of what, what I should say and what I should speak. So he says, I'm, I'm before you in the authority of the Father, and I'm saying and speaking what he has told me to say and speak. And look at verse 50. It's so awesome. And I know that his command is, notice here, everlasting life. Therefore, what I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. He's reiterating that I have come. Again, I am the word. I am representing the heart of the Father and what he is speaking through Christ is everlasting life that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he did all this while we were in sin. So if you have not called on him for salvation, you need to repent and call on him today. And none of us should ever be found questioning again his love for us. And when you start questioning that, you need to know that's not coming from him. It's not coming from him. He demonstrated it in his death and resurrection. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we need you, Lord. We just thank you for who you are, your person, your great love for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have come to make that way of liberation and freedom. Lord, as followers of Christ here today, let us not be found abiding in the darkness, but walking in the light. And if you're here today and you have not called upon the name of the Lord, today, as we have talked about, is the day of salvation. And if you're here saying, Steve, I, I believe, I believe that he's Lord, then I want to lead you in a prayer of confession, of confessing him as Lord and calling on his name. of asking him to save you, and set you free. So if you know him this morning, let, let's, let's pray with any today that would want to call on his name. And if, if you're here to saying, saying, yes, I know I need him, I, I, I want to I invite you to pray with me today to call on him. Let's pray together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I need forgiveness and salvation. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the grave that I could have life. Give me that life, Lord. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Be my Lord and Savior, my God, my King, for all my days. I thank you, Lord. Lord, just bless any that have prayed that prayer, Lord. We just pray you begin that good work in them. We know you'll be faithful to complete it. Lord, let us now... Lord, lift our voices to you and finish well, God, as we've congregated together here to glorify your name today. Let's worship the Lord. Lights up the stars, one breath that gives life, one sovereign in power that speaks with thunder and fire, one Lord, one King, there is no other. 
God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.